Hello everyone and welcome to episode 355 of the MTG Goldfish Podcast. I'm Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, and we have the full crew here this week kicking things off with the owner of MTG Goldfish, Richard. How's it going this fine Monday, Richard? Hey Seth, doing well. Just uh, just jamming some some Crimson Vow, getting uh, getting oh, wrecked yeah. on Moto. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, we've been talking about spoiler season for Crimson Vow for the last couple of weeks, but the set is actually out, at least on uh, the digital clients, on Magic Online and Magic Arena, and we even have tournament results. There were some pretty big tournaments, so one of our big topics today is going to be talking about New Standard and uh, Innistrad Crimson Vow, but before we get to that, we got another co-host in Krim. How's it going today, Krim? Uh, Also jamming a lot of Crimson Vow, but on Arena and mostly just running into ranger class. So, you know, having a miserable time playing against green. You know, same old, same old magic. <laughs> uh, poor, poor Krim. Green being good. Yep. Uh, but anyway, yeah, that's... Uh... <laughs> That's one of our big topics for today. We're talking about New Standard and Innistrad Crimson Vow now that we've actually got to see it in practice a little bit. So that is topic number one. We also wanted to talk about a couple of other things. So we got an announcement about Innistrad Double Feature. There was this weird new never seen before card that popped up in a secret layer drop that maybe says some interesting things about where magic is heading or continues to head. And we're going to be joined by uh, Joe Dyer, who does This Week in Legacy in Vintage 101 over on mtgoldfish.com to talk a little bit about Eternal Weekend and then, of course, answer your fish mail questions. So that is the overview of the cast today. Before we get into it, a reminder that our show today is brought to you by Card Conduit. And Card Conduit, you've probably heard about them from us before. They are an amazing way to sell your magic collection and they're offering a new service that's geared towards selling smaller batches of valuable cards with a reduced service fee. With their, re- uh, with their curated shipment service, you can sell your cards for the best available buy list price with only a 5% fee. And as with all of Card Conduit services, you don't gotta sort your cards you don't got to grade your cards. None of those hassles. You can just safely package them all up and ship them out. And of course, you'll get a detailed report with their results. So you can check out Card Conduit's curated shipment option as a way to buy list up to 150 cards with fast processing, optimized prices, and the low, low service fee of just 5%. And then you can even get another 10% off by going to cardconduit.com goldfish. Card Conduit, they're the easiest way to sell your magic cards. So thanks so much to Card Conduit for supporting the show. And let's talk Innistrad Crimson Vow in Standard. So it's basically release weekend. The set came out on Thursday in digital. We already had tournaments this weekend. So let's just start with first impressions. Uh, I'm sure we've all been playing to some extent. What do you think about Crimson Vow Standard? Oh, it's it's great. Minus all the green stuff. Uh, Well, I, I don't know. I actually... It's pretty awesome, but I do worry because it is, you know, the first week or so. But uh, that that's when Our Run's Epiphany and all that stuff makes its way back. Uh, on top of that, I realized I might have always just been an extra turns player. I noticed that as soon as I started taking every turn, I beat all the green decks. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think I hate green enough to take extra turns. So I kind of have to. That's what I've been doing. Uh, I've been enjoying seeing all like the new cards though. Uh, there's actually a good amount of Crimson Vow stuff hitting the, the, the meta. Uh, I, I kind of already thought that Crimson Vow had some of the better of the two Innistrad sets. Like I, I, it always had like the better cards. Um, I'm also starting to see cards like, you know, Cemetery Gatekeeper, uh, just really, really, uh, just using Crimson Vow. 
that I, I think that's the good thing about this standard so far. I'm just happy that that the set came out and it wasn't kind of just completely ignored. Uh, and, and, and that's pretty major. So, uh, whether it's between the mono green deck, the mono red deck, the mono white deck, or the humans decks, there's, there's so many decks running around right now. And, uh, you know, there's, of course, there's like, you know, an unrefined control deck, but I think that changes as the weeks pass. And that goes, as I had mentioned, with the epiphany decks. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed standard too. I feel like, uh, in some sense, things are kind of the same. Like, mono white's still a thing, mono green's still a thing. You still see the is it decks, but we've seen a lot of like different new stuff too that people are testing out humans and clerics and vampires and some other just kind of weird brews. So, uh, it's felt pretty diverse. And I think maybe the biggest development is I'm not sure that Epiphany is the top deck anymore, in all honesty. Like, sure, it's week one, it's early, things will adjust. But if you look at the tournament results from this weekend, I, I think that Mono White is probably the number one deck, uh, with Mono Green probably number two, and then you have Is It somewhere beneath them, with uh, and not really having all that much success on some of the tournaments, thanks to some of the new additions from Crimson Bow. So one of the big worries going into this is just like, Elrond's Epiphany, is anything going to change? And at least for now, for week one, it seems like the answer is yes. Maybe some of those new additions, like adding Thalia to the format, adding you know a green one drop that speeds up the deck a little bit more, Maybe those additions have actually taken Epiphany off of its throne as the top deck in standard. I think that's one of my one of my biggest questions. Like, is Epiphany just is it dead? Is it I'm not dead because it's still gonna be a thing, but is it no longer the best deck in the format? Or is this just like it's week one, everyone plays aggro on week one, aggro is one of the worst matchups for Epiphany, and as things adjust, players are gonna play more mid-range to beat the aggro decks, and then Epiphany feasts on mid-range, so then Epiphany will come back. What do you guys think? is is epiphany done in standard is being the best deck in the format definitely all not. right that's that's calling it a bit too early there we're getting a little overzealous uh for the past couple of weeks like mono green has topped the metagame page on goldfish right uh that's partly in due to the fact that epiphany is split between two decks we have is it control and is it dragons but you know it, it was not like total domination of epiphany right like mono green Mono White and Epiphany were up there and Mono Green oftentimes led the metagame. It's just Epiphany is so rage inducing that that's every, that's, you know, that's all everyone ever talks about on social media. And again, this weekend, uh, we had a couple big tournaments. We had, uh, the, the Huglandia Open. We had, uh, Kroki's Crimson Vow tournament. Uh, Epiphany is still there. Like Epiphany won Huglandia. Uh, so. I think it's a little early to call it. I think people are playing with new cards, but I think Epiphany will float around the top regardless, right? Like maybe Mono White gets some new toys or Mono Green has some new toys or maybe a new deck like Vampires or Clerics does something. But Epiphany, like you, you can't, you can't, it's like so strong. Like how can it disappear? I think people will keep forcing it and it'll, it'll like remain there if not take back its throne, right? I think it'll, it'll be a metagame player, but we'll see how it goes. But definitely too early to call it, to call it done. Like, I want to see Seth's face when he plays like five birds decks afterwards, right? After calling it done, right? Like, there's no way, right? Like, people will still play. There's still good cards. Yeah, uh, I I don't uh, I don't think it's done. Just so it's clear, I don't think it's like is it is not a thing anymore. But are we are we moving past the like 
we need to be an epiphany stage? Like, do you think, I guess that's the real question. Do you think the new additions from Crimson Vow means that the epiphany decks are just another good deck rather than uh, the deck that everyone is constantly talking about needing to be banned? Or do you think we still are going to be having the conversation of like, does epiphany need to be banned? Or does it even matter? Like, does epiphany still need to be banned, even if it's a tier two deck, just because of how miserable the play pattern of epiphany is? Maybe, maybe the win rate doesn't actually make a difference and people are still going to be salty because because it does kind of suck to lose to extra tune loops and not be able to do anything. What do you think, Grim? Like, are, are we still talking about banning Epiphany? I, I'm playing the card, and I think it still should definitely be banned. Uh, like, I just, it's mostly just the play pattern. I, I think the play pattern is just completely miserable. I, yeah, like, I, I'm just not a fan of extra turn spells. And, uh, like, the thing here is, like, the fact that it does tuck itself away means that, you know, like, hey, te everyone's just test of talents, but test of talents does not get it in the foretell zone. So, uh, yeah, like, whether it's a power level thing, I, I, I don't think it's, like, the most, like, absurdly powerful where it just, like, completely embarrasses everything. Uh, but the thing is that it, it's just the play pattern is miserable. Uh, I, I also, uh, was gonna say that I think that the deck could change, uh, in that it may not just be is it anymore, right? It could be Jeskai. Or for example, like I've been playing Esper Control with it. And when you have a bunch of hard sweepers, as opposed to like the classic is it gameplay, uh, it's very easy to live that long to make, to take uh, all the extra turns. There's only one source of truth in this. And that's the magic arena smiley face. Oh, like, <laughs> I, I feel it was never about power level, right? Like the whole time, like Epiphany was not so absurdly overpowered, right? Like it, it was a strong card. It was just very annoying and people love to beam on it. And I think that doesn't change, right? Like it's just, it, it feels bad for you to not take any turns, right? For your opponent to take all these turns. So I, I think the, the bad worthiness question is always there as long as it's a contender right like if it's like literally a tier five deck and garbage then yeah like no one's gonna talk about it but as long as it's floating around tier one and tier two you know if it creates a negative gameplay experience like the banning is always on the table right yeah i mean that's probably true i mean we've had meme cards like tabalt's trickery end up getting banned in various formats and that's like tier four or something like that's not even like a real deck and they're just so obnoxious that they end up getting banned so i think that's definitely true that the play pattern does uh, it does play into it although i will say looking at these tournament results and adding in my experience playing on arena on the ladder I'm feeling pretty good about standard. I'm feeling much better about standard than I was a couple of weeks ago. Not to say standards, you know, great or all time. And I know it's early and I know things are going to shift and adjust, but I was kind of worried that we were going to see, oh, like, oh, the top eights of these tournaments are all epiphany decks again or all is it decks again. And that definitely wasn't the case. It's definitely much more diverse, I would say, than it was before with a lot of these aggro decks and some of these wild brews showing up. And uh, what do you think about Hullbreaker Horror? I think, or Hullbreach Horror, that's another card that I've heard some people who are very good at magic on social media basically saying that it's better than Epiphany. <laughs> and that's the that's the way Epiphany goes away is Hullbreaker Horror is just better than Epiphany is as a finisher. What have uh, your experience has been with that card? Have you played with or against it at all? Either one of you? Oh, I've played with it. Uh, and, and it completely pantses. It, it, it just like completely bodies the the entire is it deck. Like if they if they just bounce it back, I just go, OK. I'll play it again. 
Like, like the thing here is they eventually die to it, right? And the fact that if they don't have the bounce effect on it, you are now going to just like, I could just cast a random spell, like a consider. And then that means I just return the epiphany back to your hand. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know how epiphany decks beat it once it gets on the battlefield in all honesty. Like, does it do enough against mono green and mono white? No. <laughs> right. That's yeah, the question. Like, obviously in the control tough. mirror or, you know, any, any kind of mirror type you know thing this this card is the nuts right but will you cast it against mono white will you survive long enough is it a sideboard card is it a main deck card is it a metagame card uh i, I don't know it depends if you can actually use it successfully against other strategies and not just against uh other blue decks i i main deck one i've hated it every time i've drawn it against an aggro deck um like every time i've never once been happy about it um and and uh yeah like uh i think it's probably still worth keeping just one in the main and then probably like one more in the side or maybe three more if you really want to end the game against the is it tech um so like yeah like i i I think it's actually like stone cold awful against the aggro decks unless you know, like for some odd reason, you're in such a healthy state that I can play that and then just like pop off with like a consider or it did feel good. The one game where I did draw it and then I go like infernal grasp and then also bounce another creature. Yeah, I mean, I think it's obviously good against green. The question is, can you get it on the battlefield quickly enough? And uh, that's not necessarily going to be a yes against a deck like mono green or mono white. Like it's seven mana. Like that's the issue. Once it's on the battlefield, I feel like it's pretty powerful in essentially any matchup. Like if you untap with it, you bounce all their stuff and that's great against controls, even greater. But seven mana is asking a lot. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Maybe there's more control decks that can take advantage of it. When I look at this metagame and I see like mono and mono green, I think there's got to be there's got to be someone who's just going to play a bunch of wraths and just like stick it to these decks. that are just flooding the board with creatures. But maybe maybe the creatures are so resilient and you have so many Redanes and Thalias and Azekas chariots. I don't know. What do you think, Krim? You're the you're the control master. Like, can you just play a bunch of wraths and beat these decks or doesn't it really work the uh, that way with how these aggro decks are constructed? Path of Peril has been the truth it gets under redane right like so so the because the, the overall cmc of it is three right uh and then and then that that makes it great and then four mana if you have to if there's a thalia also like thalia has been relatively easy to deal with from an esper deck so i think you can just jam a ton of wraths the issue is you just completely get destroyed by by like the is it deck so the more you you load up on rest the more likely you are to lose to anything that isn't aggro um vanishing verse is now just like if i could i would make it a like a 30 of in my deck um like <laughs> vanishing verse just is so, like my deck would just be vanishing verse and lands and like <laughs> like i'm not even joking you <laughs> uh that card is so good Right now, it hits everything. It, it it exiles your the green players like snail. Like it doesn't even matter. Like whatever they have on the board, they, it's getting it's getting blown up, uh, and it's getting exiled, which is sweet. The only thing that would for that card right now is like terrible is the vampire deck. <laughs> um, it feels really bad to have vanishing verse against vampires.
Yeah, vampires are very multicolor focused with a lot of their best cards. So, yeah, it kind of doesn't do a whole lot there. I'm glad you brought that up. I, that's what I want to ask you all next. What do you think about some of these new decks? Let's start with vampires. Vampires, I would say, is the Crimson Vow deck that had the best first weekend. Uh, it didn't, you know, win any tournaments, but it does show up. If you look through the results of these tournaments, there are Rakdos vampire decks that had good performances, even though I don't think any of them made the top eight or maybe one of them snuck into one of the random top eights. But not many made the top eights. Do you think that vampires are actual players in standard? Like, is this tribal deck actually going to end up being like a legit top tier or second tier option? I think they're a solid tier two aggro deck. Um, I I still rank wolves above it. Uh, wolves definitely way more powerful and definitely aggressive because of that three drop wolf that gives stuff haste. Um, and, and yeah, like also there is one big difference between black red vampires and uh, green red werewolves and is that green is in it uh and green will just forever like you unless you love vampires of course then then you know may, jam jam it you know uh have have at it but like otherwise i think werewolves is just better uh vampires feels a little bit slow um it, as in like it you're playing maybe one, three, two. You're hoping to take out an army of like white weenie decks and or werewolf decks and or, you know, big beefy green creatures or, you know, all the extra turns. So it's a little awkward. I got to say Ange or Annie or whatever that card is. Oh, my goodness. It's been so good. It's been so good. I played a bunch of different vampire decks uh, during the pre-release stream. And the one that impressed me the most uh, by far was ones that could actually take advantage of uh, the blood tokens. I feel like that's a pretty powerful build. I will say uh, Edgar. <clears throat> Uh, seemed really bad to me in all the vampire <laughs> decks. I've seen some, I've seen some non-vampire decks play it where it actually looks kind of sweet, just like white black control decks with a ton of planeswalkers, and you're just kind of like playing it as this weird mid-range threat. It seems interesting there, but in a vampire deck, oh my goodness, it it was so disappointing. The other vampire card that really surprised me was actually Blood Vial Purveyor, and I know it's a little swingy and it's a little matchup dependent, but I've certainly played some decks where my opponent just slams a Blood Vial Purveyor, and I'm just, I'm I'm just dead. I, I, there's, what am I going to do about it? It's a 5-6 flyer that kills me in like three attacks. I'm sure if you're playing, you know, a crim control deck with 30 vanishing versus, probably <laughs> no big deal. You probably like your opponent playing it. But other decks, that card is actually like legitimately frightening and really difficult to deal with. Yeah, I, I have played against it. And I mean, a control deck welcomes it usually. Unless you don't have removal, then it's a very quick clock and you die. But if you don't have removal, then you're going to die anyways to anything before it. So... Uh, but yeah, like I, I do think that, uh, the, a few of the vampire cards, the one that actually scared me the most was probably that three one that just keeps coming back when you sack a blood to, or two blood tokens. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that seems very good against the control deck. That, yeah. I guess Vanishing Verse can still snag it, but otherwise, like, whew, that's going to be an issue for you. Yeah, that, that card was interesting. Um, I didn't even know it did that. I was like, so this is just a 3-1? Oh, there's the second line. Okay, so there's more. <laughs> oh, 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 and then I died. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, but other than that, I, I do think that, like, I don't know. Did you not feel that Vampires was a bit slow? I mean, it didn't have a Seeker's Chariot, right? So you weren't doing anything that busted. You weren't, it, it didn't have Ranger class. So they weren't just going off left and right. Like they didn't get to face roll across the keyboard, right? So like, what, what is, what is your impression of vampires? Cause I just felt like it was just not there yet. Ah, 
so so vampires to me, I agree that they're slow, especially if you compare them to like mono white or mono green. Uh, difficult to get as aggressive as wins as those decks. The thing I like about it, though, is I do feel like, especially with all the blood tokens, it's pretty consistent and it's pretty resilient for going long. Like, you have the recursive vampires, you got all these blood tokens to filter through your deck. So I feel like maybe the home for the role of vampires is actually to, like, try to be a little bit bigger. Uh, it probably makes you worse against the Epiphany decks, but I feel like maybe that's how vampires could fight against, uh, you know, mono green and mono white is rather than trying to be as aggressive as possible, going a little bit bigger with the, the powerful like four drops and five drops that the deck has access to and trying to play a little bit of a longer game with the blood tokens because you get like good removal with Blood Tithe Harvester. You have these like bomby big threats that can even uh, fight with a lot of the green creatures like uh, Ange and Blood Vile Purveyor, like those are cards that can actually, you know, go toe to toe or the big death touching vampire nighthawk thing. They can trade profitably with a lot of the cards the white and green decks are playing. So I think maybe that's vampire zone, but I do think you're right that as an aggro deck, I feel like vampires is just like a slow version of mono white or of mono green. Plus your two colors. So you got some of the mana issues compared to those other decks, even though the mana's gotten a lot better in standard, like it's not going to be as consistent as those mono color decks. But what do you think, Richard? Have you gotten to play any standard or have you just been a uh, drafting? like crazy so the story is i got destroyed and limited <laughs> like so destroyed so la last turn uh, last cycle i i started playing standard and moto i'm like this is great like you know i'm making money i'm like not losing money so this time like i'll play limited on on moto and uh i have not like won anything i've gone like one two for like four drafts and <laughs> <laughs> and normally when I play arena, I'm like smurfing it with like a 70% win rate, just like racking up the wild cards and stuff, right? I'm like, oh, the people left on Moto are so good. Like, I, I cannot do this. So uh, with my tail between my legs, I ran and played Mono Green Standard and got some of my confidence back. Slamming <laughs> <laughs> in <your> class. <laughs> uh. Yeah, I've only played like a single league on uh, with, with the new Standard, and I haven't seen Vampires. Uh, the... The format of 5-6 looks intriguing to me. I, I feel like I want to play Jund or something, but uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But, like, playing Mono Green, it kind of just feels the same as before the new cards came out. Like, like yes, there are, like, new cards, but I'm roughly just doing the same thing, which is, like, face rolling across the keyboard. And it's, it's still kind of working <laughs> pretty well, so... <laughs> Like, look, if I could I go, like, 10% like win rate in limited to, like, 80% win rate in constructed, that probably tells you something <laughs> about, <laughs> about the quality of decks. <laughs> it really shows how strong that green deck is, because I think the green deck got very little from Crimson Vow, really. Like, what, what new cards are you playing in your green deck? Even? Oh. I, most of the lists I've seen look pretty, pretty much like the old builds. It got, it got um, like, I think one of the biggest upgrades it got was uh, two new forest printings. Um, because <laughs> I, I suited up the exact 75. I didn't even adjust, I didn't even adjust my sideboard for the metagame set. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure uh, yeah. the green deck doesn't even need a sideboard. That's like generous <laughs> that it has a sideboard. Yeah. Crim memes on that, but that's actually true. Like a lot of times I don't touch my sideboard. Like I, I have a sideboard for like these, like a lot of times you don't need to, right? You're like, the, the deck is perfect as is. Like there, there's no... 
the main deck is so versatile as, as is, right? So a lot of times you don't touch your sideboard. It's not like other decks where you're like swapping in like eight cards. You're just like, eh, I, I guess. All right, I gotta I gotta ask you guys about two more decks, I think, before we move on to other topics. So first, uh, what do you think about this Clerics deck? So Clerics have been floating around for a while, but they've always been pretty not good. But then all of a sudden this weekend, there's a couple of Clerics lists that showed up in the top eight with Voice of the Blessed being like the huge new addition. I hadn't really considered, I thought of that as a, you know, a, a good in Soul Sisters card, which I think it is, <laughs> but it's also a good in Clerics card. Like Clerics have Clerics of Life Bond and Chaplain of Alms, which both happen to be like Soul Sister style effects. So I've played against it a couple times and <laughs> Voice of the Blessed is legitimately scary. Like I have opponents relatively early in the game, getting that up to the full 10 counters, like in the course of maybe two turns once they get things going, which is kind of frightening. Like sure, you can still bounce it or whatever, but that is a real threat. Do you think this Clerics deck, thanks to the new addition, like, is that legit? Are we going to have Clerics be a real deck in standard? I mean, it, it's it's good against another aggro deck that probably is trying to, like, burn it out or something because, you know, they have to be bogged down by actually playing other things than removal. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, like, the the aggro matchups, that card is kind of absurd. I was, I, I, think, I think I was playing the humans deck for a video, and I just did not draw my my uh Cathar or whatever brutal Cathar and and or my portable hole and that thing just got to a 10 10 11 11 within like two turns and and then they played a yeah. second one I'm like oh my god how do I beat this card I've never <laughs> seen so many humans used to just like try to like block I had to throw stuff I had to like use animate a flying land to block it because like wait we got flying on top of that okay so so yeah that card is is very very sweet however i think clerics is a solid like also tier two with vampires yeah i I, it definitely is improved, but I think you're probably right that it's probably not a tier one deck. But boy, if you don't draw removal, it can get you, it can get you real good. Its creatures can get really big real fast. Oh yeah, and then like what's what's the, other, the uh, four mana cleric that's usually the go to target to bring it back with like uh, uh, aura yeah. aura yeah aura is actually looking good now. Recurring things from the graveyard. It's actually a pyre of heroes deck, which is kind of cute too. That's a card that I was kind of hyped about during spoiler season and has done like literally nothing. But uh, it works well with clerics when. You have aura and some other like recursive synergies uh, some disturbed cards that can come back from the graveyard so i think the deck's cool i'm still not sure how good it is but it does seem cool and it does seem reasonable against like mono white or mono green at least you probably get absolutely run over by the control decks but against other like aggro creature decks you get life gain you get big things seems like a reasonable option there at least i mean the other deck i was gonna, oh, I was gonna add at the red bull untapped the highest place for orzhov's clerics was 292nd so uh, oh. <laughs> it did not fare too well uh, because I don't know how many of these other decks you're going to run into, right? Like if you can't win against the top slice of the metagame, you're going to have a really hard time. But it, it does look cool. Like a Johnny's Pride Bait is probably like one of the most popular casual cards ever. And the deck is relatively cheap. So maybe if more people play it, uh, you know, be optimized further, maybe it becomes a real contender at some point. 
it's definitely going to be popular on the ladder because me and Krim were talking about this during our top 10 video. I think people just <laughs> love life game decks on Arena they and they do. play they play a Johnny's Pride. They play the fake of Johnny's Pride mates. They don't even exist in paper. Like just anything that's like in a Johnny's Pride mate, you're going to play against like every other round on the ladder. So I'm expecting to see a lot of that deck, whether it's actually good or not. Like people just oh, they love that play style on Arena. Yeah, like like I, I feel like I see that deck probably more often than I see anything else. And I and, and it always ends the same. We, we're always baffled by it. Like it never wins a lot. They just play it all the time. It's it's metagaming against the burn decks, Krim, not your deck. Okay, the, the burn decks that don't exist. Yeah, the model red one drops. You know, they they've been, they've been pushed out of the meta by Orzhov clerics. That's why they don't exist. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I gotta I gotta ask you about one more deck, and this is the most important question because it's a deck I really want to be good in standard. <sighs> what about zombies? Can zombies be a thing? They also there's a couple of lists that showed up, like the Hooglandia Open. I think someone got maybe top sixteen with uh, a Demure Zombie deck. There was a Mono Black Zombie deck, I think, that top eighted one of the events, but definitely not a huge weekend. What's your impression of zombies? Can zombies be a real deck in our new standard format? Um, so I guess the issue, the thing here is like the only thing that it, that it's gotten is overcharged amalgam. To be honest with you, I think that's the only thing that really made a difference for the deck. And oddly... Necroduality, Krim. Necroduality. <laughs> right, right, on, right. Duality. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, the, the good old f- turn four, <laughs> do nothing pass. <laughs> and then hope... It lines up well with Ezekiel's chariot. Because <laughs> you, can, can, you can concede because you know there's no way you're winning if you tap out for it and they play Ezekiel's chariot. That li- oh, you're right. It does line up real well then. <laughs> well, I mean, outside of that, I think Overcharged Amalgam is good in the zombie deck, but it's better anywhere else. So, like, oddly enough, the, the zombie shell is only holding back the Amalgam. Um, uh, but I, I don't think it got anything new, right? Like, it, it didn't get anything that's really, really worthwhile. Not, not yet, at least. Maybe I... I missed over something and, uh, and like there's just some hidden Demir zombies deck, but legit, it just feels like nothing was really gained from, uh, what Crimson is the synergy Val? you get for playing zombies? Like, what is, what is the reward? Uh, the, the biggest reward I think is Champion of the Perished, which so that you get can a be one a legitimately frightening card. Three, three, and that's it. <laughs> I mean, eventually it's like a one mana eight eight or something. If it if it sticks around, I've definitely played against zombies, and I played with zombies some. But uh, your zombie stacks occasionally do have games, so you just go like turn one champion of the parish, turn two champion of the parish, shambling ghast, and you're like, oh, okay. Like so, they do have the face roll wins where they just all of a sudden have these one drops that are so big that you can't really stop them. But it is true that they didn't have a great performance. I think Felstinger is like a legit awesome card, like the the Moldrifter exploit three drop with Death Touch. Like, but that doesn't necessarily have to be a zombie card either, even though it is technically a zombie scorpion. But I think that is one of the big new things they've gotten. But looking at the deck list, like, I guess Archgool of Thraben, the uncommon that when a zombie uh, dies, you get to look at the top card of your library and grab a zombie if it's a zombie or otherwise you can mill it if you want to. But really not a ton of new cards showing up in the deck outside of uh, the Overcharged Amalgam, really. Y'all. I think the, the payoffs just don't. Make it worth it, right? You could just play a Seekers Chariot, right? <laughs> Rather than like jumping through all of these layers to build some synergy and get like barely any payoff, right? Like, yes, you can play your Lord to give your zombies plus one plus zero, but 
your creatures are still smaller than green creatures, right? And they're still, they still have less utility than the white creatures. So there needs to be like a really strong payoff. And I'm not sure Necro Duality is that payoff card. Oh, oh you just wait. Just wait till my video comes out. There's a Necro Duality video coming. You'll all be believers. Check it out when Van Against Odds is coming. Pop off against clerics. That's just bullying. That's just bullying. You know what? What uh, isn't actually? I noticed you haven't mentioned that's actually worth a look at the tempo decks. There's like blue white tempo. There's blue black tempo, and I think those decks got mono blue. Like the mono blue one. There's blue white. There's blue black. Any of those variants? I there's a lot there. Um, I was playing a spirits deck on stream the other day, and Dream Shackle Geist is one that really crept up there i i was really surprised to see it do so much it seems like a joke right like this three mana three one but at the beginning of combat on your turn choose up to one tap target creature or target creature doesn't untap during its controller next untap step i started stacking these and just countering people out of the game with like geist light snare all that stuff and they just people couldn't deal with it and overcharged amalgam is an honorary spirit at this point because it's amazing i i was just able to like sacrifice stuff uh like you know the the small dinky spirits and uh in the tempo decks like there's like little one ones that you don't care about later in the game uh and, that, and you can upgrade it into a three three so I don't know if the shells are perfect right now, but I do think there's something there. And I think they probably get better when Kamigawa comes out. I, I've been messing around with spirits too, but more disturbed spirits uh, with hallowed haunting. And oh my goodness, the deck can do some really powerful things. I've actually been pretty impressed with like Dorothea and Katilda. Like yeah. if you got a lot of spirits, Katilda is Katilda's actually like a legitimately frightening card that comes down as like a four four flying lifelink and then comes back as a ore out of the graveyard. Like I think uh, there are payoffs for spirits, so that's one that's definitely. On my list, I don't know if they'll be top tier right away, but I would not be surprised if sometime in the next year of standard, before we get to the next rotation, if there's like a really legit spirit stack. Oh yeah, I mean, once again, in Kamigawa, right? We'll have robo spirits or something. But, but, <laughs> okay, okay. Without going too in depth, because I know we got to get to the next topic. Uh, I got to ask, the most important question is when you cast the disturb side of a card, how often do you scream down with the sickness? <laughs> <laughs> every every time oh perfect every, ooh, ah, ah, every <laughs> yeah. time you do that yeah <laughs> uh, all right let's let's move forward in a couple other topics while we got time uh so wizards announced today spoiling innistrad double feature richard what is this third innistrad set all right so this has been known to us for a while so today they released the gallery of all the cards but basically double feature is uh, a box of 24 draft boosters. Each pack contains 15 cards. Uh, so you're going to get eight cards from Crimson Vow and eight cards from Midnight Hunt. And that's four commons, two uncommons, and one rare. So each pack will have two rares, one from each set. And then along with that, you get a special new type of card, which is a silver screen foil. Uh, it's just a black and white card with a special foiling treatment. Uh, so you can see the gallery up on the website, but it's just basically like all uh, all the cards from uh, the set. And I we were talking about this before cast, but I don't know what the point of this product is. Uh, so it's clearly made for drafting. Like they, they set it up to be draft format. Uh, but can you have just taken like packs of, you know, 
Midnight Hunt and Crimson Bad when just drafted them together. <laughs> so yeah, I yeah. don't know. What do you guys think about this? Any hype like Silver Screen, uh, Silver Screen uh, foils? Do we care about oh. this? Is this a real product or is this just another supplemental that no one will buy? Uh, this product was definitely designed for me. <laughs> You don't like the black and white look of it? I mean, okay, so the, the, I will admit, when I first heard of this, I thought it was going to be a remix of all the Innistrad sets, as in including uh, Eldritch Moon and all that, Shadows, and of course, original Innistrad and Dark Ascension, whatever, right? I thought all that would have been put on uh, like into one set, and this would be one big mega set, which would then lead to its, like, those sets reintroduction or uh, introduction into arena um and i was like oh that'd be brilliant that's the perfect way to go about it uh and now i've found out that it's just the current two innistrad sets which obviously is fine like on paper like the paper uh, gamer in me loves it because i love like the black and white look um i think that it's great because i love the horror movie aesthetic and they're really leaning into that uh i do not know how i feel about like the border of white cards in black and white although that because that actually oh i mean the white cards in black and white feel like actually the closest to traditional horror movies uh but but the blue cards in black and white look really cool and i can't wait to see what it looks like in person uh the like and the red cards like oh even even the green cards look kind of cool in in green borders right <laughs> like so i i like the car the borders that actually have color in them although technically white is the most traditional uh other than that though i I, I think this product is all aesthetic. And and I guess but apparently for drafting. Um, why not just sell like a collector booster equivalent where the whole pack is just silver screen foils? Like why I, are they? I think that's in? what this is, essentially. No, no. It's fifteen. I think you get one. You get one you get one foil and then fifteen reprints from Crimson Vow and uh But in black and white. No, 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 right? no. No. The 15 Wait, cards are normal. You get one so, black and white yeah. card per pack. Hold yeah. on. Oh, sorry. You get 14 normal cards and one foil, which is the black and white foil. And then the other 14 cards are basically, you know, half Crimson Vow and half Midnight Hunt. But normal printing? Normal printing. Just normal, yeah. What is the point of this release? <laughs> <laughs> I thought if I got this, it would essentially just be the the booster packs, but in black and white. It's Hold like on. you'd be essentially oh. buying packs to open a foil, right? Which yeah. really doesn't make much sense, right? Wait, no, 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 no. There's no way, right? Like that, you're you're trolling. Hold on, let, 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 I gotta, I'm gonna read this. Wait a minute. <laughs> Well, Krim is while Krim is reading, I I think products like this, I mean, obviously the the one per pack, blah blah blah, like that's that's kind of disappointing. I think the big issue though is we have so many different cards these days. I like the black and white cards, but there's like three different showcase styles every single set that it's hard for me to get hyped about a product like this just because I don't know, maybe these different borders are losing some of their specialness or something for me, but there's just so many versions of these cards that black and white's cool and I like them, but is it that much cooler than any of the other showcase styles or this border or that border that come out every set? And I don't know if it is like that much different or better. So I think that kills it. I do think that Wizards, when they do these uh, return to sets, they definitely should do a remix set alongside it. I would be super hyped if it was what Krim originally 
thought it was, where it was all the Innistrad sets remixed into a draftable set with a cool treatment on the foils. That would be super hype. That would be good for Arena. That would be good for Paper. So I hope they do something like that in the future. Like if they were, if this slot was releasing Innistrad remastered with the old Innistrad sets mixed in with some of these new cards, that would be something that would really get my interest. As it is, like. I guess it's fine if you want to draft it or if you really want to chase these black and white foils. But otherwise, I don't know, like 95% uh, of the, the packs are just the same cards that you opened in Crimson Vow or the same cards you opened in Midnight Hunt. So not super hype. But yeah. what, did, what did you find, Grim? Uh, uh, update. It is exactly as you said. This sucks. <laughs> <laughs> it it, it just makes no sense. They could just put like original Innistrad, like you know the fifth, like the fourteen normal cards. Like why don't they just print original Innistrad or Shadows? Because Ooh. all these products are available to buy on the shelves right now, right? Like what's the point? Well, of splitting this. And if you want special cards, aren't you better off just buying like collector or set boosters from for the singles? Uh, yeah, for the previous cards, right? Um, so yeah, man, just like. See, if no one opens these packs, these singles are going to be, like, crazy expensive. So, <laughs> well, uh, yeah. I, I, I guess, wait, okay, would you buy these if they were what I thought they were, which was a pack that was pretty much Crimson Vow uh, and, 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 and whatever, the, the fir Midnight Hunt, but just all black and white. Like, every card had the silver screen treatment. Yeah, I think it if makes it a lot of sense. If it was all black and white. Yeah. If it was all black and white, I'd probably buy it. I, I would probably buy it, honestly, over the, the normal sets, just because I think the black and white's cooler looking than normal cards. So, yeah, if it was all black and white, I think I would. But one per pack? Ooh, no. Yeah. I'd just buy Collector Booster, honestly. The one per pack hits me a little bit in the, the sad spot there, because, like, right in the feels. Because I thought this was going to be all black and white and now i'm very sad and granted that i built that expectation for myself but regardless i that's just because logically that's where i thought it would go well why only one silver screen then yeah like okay this then goes back to the original point which is wait why why are you buying this and then there's also the bigger yeah. question of will it pringle right like you know it's another new experimental watsy foiling right like i don't know what this is going to look like right like we haven't seen silver screen foils before and will they bend will they you know are they double the thickness of a normal card like, i don't know how they feel in hand so yeah a lot of questions uh, well speaking of special cards we got one more quick topic before we hit up fish mail and that is there was a secret layer that someone opened in the past week and in this secret layer there was a visira seer that no one knew about just one of those random cards that pops out of a secret layer drop but the visira seer was printed backwards and it was numbered 77 of 100 presumably meaning there's a hundred of these in existence these backwards visira seers really curious what you guys think about this uh, i i don't collect sports cards but i keep up a little bit on the sports card market because i think it's interesting and i know this is something that's really really big we talked about this like a year ago i think uh, about these uh, box breaks that sports cards do and they're looking for these one of five cards one of ten cards one of one cards and how that's essentially what the sports cards market is about now and we're wondering, when is Wizards going to start doing this? And it seems like the answer is now with this 77 of 100 Viserys seer. Do you think this is a is a good thing for the game? Seeing Wizards go towards these super, super limited uh, print run collectible type cards. What do you think of the, the backwards Viserys seer? I mean, what do I think of the card or the, the, the idea behind it? Because the idea behind it doesn't bother me. 
Like I, I like I'm I may not want to go buy a backwards Viserys seer for like, I don't know, thirty-two million dollars or whatever, but but like it's a collectible card game. I expect some kind of random collectible stuff things happening, right? If now if this were like, oh, by the way, we have an exclusive card that does something that you can't get anywhere else, then that'd be problematic. But other than that, it's just like cool. Collectible Seer backwards, I'll never play it. It'll be funny to run into uh, because I don't read my cards anyway, so everything's already backwards. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> oh, what, a, what do you think, Richard? I agree with Grim. I think the general idea of having collectible cards is fine. I, I don't know why it's Viserys uh, Seer. I don't know why that's limited edition, and I don't know why it's backwards. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. Like, it would make a lot more sense if they released, like, you know, the Dracula Showcase cards instead of putting them in the set, making them a, you know, out of a hundred Dracula card for chase mythic in standard, right? Then I'm like, I get it, right? Like someone will want to buy it. There's like high demand, but this is weird. And why is it backwards? Like what happened? Is it worth it? Like they're pretending it's a misprint, but it's not. And then it's just hard to read. And we're like, is this fake? Is this an error? I can't even tell anymore, right? Like, I don't know, right? So it's it's just weird. Like, why not have fancy art or anything? Like, why is it backwards? Confused. Yeah, that's that's the part that gets me too. I would. I'm perfectly fine with wizards doing one of a hundred. I'm perfectly fine with them printing a one of one soul ring or something and having, uh, you know, a thousand dollar booster pack that's all these super exclusive cards like sports cards do. That's fine as long as it's reprints. As Krim said, like as long as it's reprints and you can get a ten cent Viserys here somewhere, go to town with whatever you want to do. I do think the backwards thing is actually a little bit cheesy. Like I don't know. You remember when people would buy sheets? and miscut them on purpose to make their own misprints because then they could sell them for more money. It kind of feels like wizards trying to do that. Like, I feel like the idea of like, oh, like here's this misprint that's not really a misprint. I don't know. Like the the exact way they made this card feels a little bit, a little bit corny to me, a little bit cheesy to me, but I'm perfectly fine with, you know, these random collectible cards. I will never go out and spend hundreds of dollars on this, you know, one of a hundred Viserys a year, but there's probably people who will and, you know, more power to them. Like that's, that's perfectly fine with me. But yeah, I do think the backwards thing is a little bit weird. And I don't know, I think this does open the door to some really expensive booster products. Remember people complaining about like the double masters packs that were a hundred dollars. I would not be surprised if we see even more expensive products coming in the future where you're guaranteed to get one of whatever cards, you know, that are signed by the artist or have, you know, Mark Rosewater's toenail clippings or whatever. And then the stuff that we talked about before, but I think that is, this is the first step towards doing that. So it'll be interesting to see where it ends up. All right, so next up, we're joined by a super special guest to talk a little bit about stuff coming up in the Legacy and Vintage world, and that is Joe Dyer, who writes This Week in Legacy and Vintage 101 on the site. Joe, how you doing today? Thanks so much for joining us. I'm doing great. Thanks, guys, for having me. So I know that Eternal Weekend 2021 is kind of around the corner and uh, a little bit different this time. We still got some of the COVID stuff, so I believe it's going to be a online event this time. But we wanted to have you on and talk a little bit about what Eternal Weekend is, how people can participate, how they can maybe find some decks to play in it if they're interested. So, Joe, how are they doing Eternal Weekend in 2021? So uh, like last year, uh, we did, we're doing Eternal Weekend online again this year. And uh, what that entails is two separate weekends worth of events where each weekend has three different events. And so uh, you get to play in 
three different events where each pro- each event is for a different prize, uh, and that prize is a full art card art uh, that is uh, a big piece of art painted on a card that says you know legacy or vintage champion on it. Uh, and so you pick which one event you want to play in, and that's the portrait you're going to play for. Ooh, the art, I, I I believe I saw in an article, it's got like Wasteland and Bayou and Sylvan Library, and the art actually looks really sweet. So it's actually yeah. kind of a, a really unique prize, I guess. And this is uh, sort of a Eternal Weekend thing, right? These big art prizes is something uh, with the big cards and the art. That's something that they've done for a long time with Eternal Weekend, I think. Yes. Yeah, that's kind of an Eternal Weekend tradition. They've always done these for uh, the events for Eternal Weekend, even when we were doing them in paper. They were having these large cards. So they're doing this on Magic Online. Uh, when are the actual events? Do you know what weekends uh, they're doing these? Uh, so the legacy events are actually this weekend, uh, so November 19th, uh, Saturday, November 20th, and Sunday, November 21st. Uh, that is the Wasteland event on Friday, the Bayou event on Saturday, and the Sylvan Library event on Sunday. And then the following weekend is the Vintage events. So that's uh, Thanksgiving, Black Friday weekend. Uh, and that's for a Mox Emerald on Friday, Time Twister on Saturday, and Mox Ruby on Sunday. Ooh, so that uh, that actually sounds pretty sweet. So giving people something to do over the, the holiday weekend when maybe people have time off of work. So let's say people want to join these events. Um, how do they actually do that? Is it just like a normal Magic Online event where you go into the queue or is, is it a little more complicated than that? It's not super complicated. Uh, there is a what they call an Eternal Weekend Entry Token. Uh, those tokens are $25, so entry, if you wanted to enter all three of the Legacy events, for example, that would be $75. You have to buy a token for every event you want to per- get into. However, one of the great things about this uh, these events is that if you buy an Eternal Weekend entry token, that start and that starts today, actually. Uh, today, uh, November 15th, 10 a.m. P- uh, Pacific Time, is when they'll be on sale in the Magic Online store. And when you buy the, the token, you restart your client and you will have access to pretty much every card on Magic Online until Wednesday, December 1st. Uh, so it's about 16 days worth of all access to where you can build, you can play whatever you want, not just for these events. You can play in leagues, you can play in challenges, constructed pra- tournament practice room, anything. So you can build pretty much every deck in the format and just play with anything. Yeah, they've done a couple of events like this in the past where you can get these uh, tickets and you get all the cards on the client. And I remember actually like calculating it. And while it's only for a limited time only, the price is actually pretty fair when you compare it to like loan programs and stuff like that uh, for those couple of weeks to have access to all the cards. Like even on Magic Online, a Legacy or Vintage deck is going to cost several hundred dollars and maybe even up to like a thousand dollars or more, depending on the deck. So being able to get access to all the decks for two weeks for a pretty low price is uh, kind of appealing. So I guess if you're thinking about playing the events, you should probably sign up and get the ticket soon because then you're going to get more for your money, essentially being able to use those cards for longer. Right. And also you'll be able to have more time to practice, uh, especially Which, if, uh, you know, if you're newer to the format. 
Uh, well, speaking of being newer to the format, the last thing I wanted to ask you, I know uh, all the, you know, old-timer vintage and legacy players, they probably know what they're playing. They're up on the metagame. They got their decks, and, uh, you know, they're going to have a, a brew ready for these events. What if you are new to these formats, but you're interested in vintage or legacy, and you think, wow, this is a pretty good deal. 25 bucks, I get all the cards for two weeks. This is my chance. How would someone like that find a deck to play, figure out what deck to play? You got any advice for those type of players? Yeah, actually, uh, you know, besides just content creators, uh, I have actually been putting together a lot of content on that as well. Uh, my article that's coming out this week uh, is going to talk about several legacy decks that are good for players to kind of get into with some links to other content on those decks so that you can kind of go dive into that. I've been doing stuff with the vintage side of things with uh, these little mini cram sessions on various decks. Uh, so it kind of trying to equate them to other decks and other formats that players may already be familiar with and to kind of a show, hey, you know, this is what your play style is. If you enjoy this kind of deck, this is a deck in this format that you might enjoy. Uh, and so it makes it a little nice uh, to, to kind of get into that. And some of the decks I'm talking about, like example in Legacy, you know, one of the decks I'm going to be talking about pretty, uh, pretty extensively is Death and Taxes, uh, because that deck is very good right now in Legacy. Uh, but it's also a deck that requires a lot of metagame knowledge and a lot of understanding. But thankfully, uh, one of the uh, best DNT players in the world, uh, John Ryan Hamilton, uh, has written a ton of documentation uh, out there on DNT and how to play it. So it's a deck that's hard to play, but it's got a lot of content out there to actually learn it. So that's, that's kind of nice. So I'm trying to lean on those kinds of decks that have a lot of not easy. They're not all, everything, nothing's ever going to be easy to get into, but they're easy to get into because there's a lot of resources available to learn them. Oh yeah, that sounds uh, that sounds super helpful for new players. So when uh, your articles actually go up, if players want to check those out to get ready for these big eternal weekend events. Uh, so my articles for Legacy go up on Tuesdays. My articles for Vintage go up on Thursdays. The articles for Vintage have already started kind of started covering this. So if you're interested in playing Vintage, definitely check those out. Um, I definitely do recommend trying Vintage out. Uh, a lot of players are, may feel daunted by that format, but it's actually really fun right now. Yeah, I, I'm about due for some more Vintage. It's been a minute, but I do love the Vintage format. And uh, yeah, I'm excited for, for these events. I might try to sneak into one of them uh, over the holiday weekend because that sounds super fun. So yeah. anyway, anything else, uh, anything else, Joe, before we kind of wrap things up with our Eternal Weekly coverage? Yeah, um, one more thing I wanted to add was that on for especially for the legacy uh eternal weekend this weekend if you were actually planning on playing in this event uh i also help run a project called the legacy data collection project uh where we collect information on the various um, magic online challenges and stuff like that and uh, i am looking for people to assist with data collection for these events because they're going to be long eight to ten round events and I definitely need people to kind of help jump in and and get data for us. If they want to help, uh, how do they? Where do they? Where do they contact you, or who should they get in contact with to help out with that? Uh, on my Twitter account at uh, VorathXP is a good place. Uh, there's also every uh, data sheet that I publish on my Twitter uh, for that. There's a Discord link. Uh, they can follow that and come to our Discord and help us out with that. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us for a few minutes, Joe, to talk about Eternal Weekend. And I assume you're going to be playing the event. So uh, so good luck. Have uh, have fun. Yeah, I plan on at least playing in one of each. Um, I'm going to be slightly busy this weekend on Legacy because uh, on uh, Saturday I actually have a paper uh, Legacy event on Saturday. And so I'm going to be playing in the Sunday Legacy one and probably the Sunday Vintage one. Awesome. Well, anyway, check out Joe's articles going up Tuesday and Thursday in the site. And then, of course, Eternal Weekend happening the next two weekends over on Magic Online. So thanks again for joining us, Joe. Definitely appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. Anyway. I think uh, we better hit up a fish mailer to Richard. All right. Take it away. If you have questions, send them to at MDG Goldfish with the hashtag MDG Fish Mail. We'll get to your questions on air. Uh, love Parker. I miss the time when I started playing magic and me and my friends have this kitchen table mentality where we played with what we had or maybe bought very few cheap rares with LGS to strengthen our jank. Any idea on how to bring that feeling back? I think that's commander. Hmm. Right? Like, you you can... Because then Commander, you can do whatever, right? You don't have to play with others. You could just play within your own playgroup, set house rules. Yeah, I think... Yeah. I, I think Commander with house rules, right? Like, you're like, okay, let's all go to the LGS, and yeah. we have 25 bucks each. <laughs> like, buy, buy whatever cards you need, and, and, and away we go. Like, basically, I think budget restrictions or, like... Uh, theme restrictions and things like that will bring back that feeling because i i I feel like we get that kitchen table mentality on commander clash where we just like randomly throw up jank themes like okay only ice age and before and then you you're forced to play with these cards you would never play with normally but they're just as fun as regular magic cards right so i think and that's basically what happened when you were a kid right you had like an actual budget right and you had like supply issues you couldn't just buy cards online and get them shipped to your house you had to go to lgs dig in that bulk pile you know, find that like 30 cent steal. Uh, so I think restrictions is the key to making it more casual. Yeah, I definitely agree. I don't think there's any way to make that happen like on arena or if you're playing with, you know, random people at your local game store or whatever. But if you have your own play group, then there's all kinds of things you can do with restrictions that they can kind of, you know, bring back that feeling. So I think you're exactly right. Commander is probably the easiest format to do it in. And then uh, if you got a play group, you can make whatever restrictions you want. And that'll that'll kind of bring that feeling back. So I think that's definitely the direction to head. Uh, all right. Uh, go, go, Gaga, Zubaba. How the heck do I get into modern? I have a full-time job and make good money, but it seems unfathomable to me the money I have to spend to make a modern deck. Do I start small and make a budget deck, or do I bite the bullet and shell out 10k for Jund? (laughs) Help. My advice would be to make a budget deck. There are some very competitive budget decks that you can take to uh, LGS and play to FNM and have some success with. Uh, the 8-wax style decks is one I usually go to, or 12-wax now. Those are decks that you can build for around 100 bucks and actually compete with. Uh, Burn can also be pretty competitive on the budget. We got a whole series of budget decks for Modern. I made a ton of budget decks. You can check them out over on the website. But that would be my advice, especially now in the era of Modern Horizons, when things change so quickly. Uh, start small and build your collection that way because you never know if you go out and spend $10,000 on Jund when, you know, something's going to come out and invalidate most of the deck that you spend your money on a year later or something. So I would definitely be on the start small and build up from their stage uh, personally at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I would not recommend buying Jund. (laughs) Uh, I would recommend just getting your foot in the door, playing the format. And then as you play other decks, you'll get a feel of what you like and what you want to play. And then you can invest at that point, but it would feel really bad to 
you know, spend 10K on Jund and then be like, this deck sucks, I don't want it anymore. And then you're out like a, a lot of money, right? So I would start small and then explore the format and then you'll get a better idea of what you actually like. And just so it's clear, Jund's like 1500 bucks or something like that, 2000 bucks at the top. So it's not literally 10K, it's a little hyperbolic. Just just before everyone yells at us in the comments that it's not really 10K. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sure, it feels like 10K, but like rotating yep. in monkey sets and stuff like that. <laughs> you just throw out your whole deck and buy some lures. Just, just know that it, once you start like, playing red and green, then you look at Ren and six. And yeah. Yeah, but start small. I, I would play like, you know, a cheap deck like Seth said. And then you can invest in a more expensive deck once you figured it out. Uh, speaking of expensive, BM Sullivan. Why is the Fairy Time Rattler so expensive on Moto? It's widely played, but it's a non-mythic from a recent standard set. It's the third most expensive card in Modern. No non-Horizons card is even close. Is the supply of War of the Spark abnormally low? So here's the issue with cards on Magic Online right now. Uh, basically, Arena came out. Many limited players, except for the really hardcore grinders that Stomp Richard, <laughs> um, they switched over to, to Arena to play limited. And that has really pinched the supply on cards. The main way cards come into Magic Online are through people drafting. And for the last couple of years since Arena came out, uh, there hasn't been nearly as much drafting, which means not as many Teferi Time Ravelers or whatever in existence. Uh, the good news is standard play is also mostly shift to arena. So the thing that gets really hit hard are rares in mythics that end up being playable in eternal formats. When you have a Teferi, which is a staple in modern and in legacy, uh, there's just not that many to go around compared to the amount of modern in legacy players there are that need them on Magic Online, and the price gets really crazy. We've seen this with a lot of cards, actually. Anything that's even like slightly playable in older formats ends up getting really expensive on Magic Online. So basically that's what's happening. Uh, Teferi is kind of an extreme example because it is a rare and it happens more with Mythics. But Teferi is also an extreme example because it is just really, really heavily played in older formats. Uh, it is a true staple, one of the most, it's, uh, it's in 30% of modern decks, four copies per deck. Uh, it's just in so many decks. So that's basically what's going on. And it was like, it's up to $50 now. It was closer to 20 just a couple months ago. So the other part of it is it's really taken off since Modern Horizons 2 has shifted the metagame and there's uh, just a lot of decks that uh, that take advantage of it. It's one of the best hate cards to fight against the Cascade style decks. So it's very, very in demand. But that's the basic the basic issue is supply is low because limited switch to arena, but demand is very high because Teferi is kind of busted. All right. And last question from James Law. A lot of people complain about Auron's Epiphany and now uh, creatures do so much in standard. Werewolf Pack Leader is a two mana three three that can draw cards and self buff later on. Should Watsi go back to the early days of super strong spells over strong creatures? I would mm. like that. <laughs> I don't think I would. I mean, Alan's Epiphany is pretty busted. I think, I, I think a middle ground. I think that's where I would like to see things end up is strong creatures, but also strong spells. I feel like the pendulum swung really far in one direction. The early days, spells were too strong and creatures were too weak. And then maybe we overcorrected and creatures became too strong maybe. and spells were too what do you weak. Mean, maybe? But I hope we did. <laughs> uh, well, okay, definitely. But I think we're maybe trending back in a good, uh, a good direction where standard cards seem to be powered down a little bit. Some of the threats compared to where they were a couple of years ago. 
and we've gotten some pretty solid spells over the last couple sets. Not, you know, Balance and Black Lotus and Soul Ring and that level of power, but I feel like maybe things are normalizing and heading towards a, a happy medium. So I think I think the early days were bad. I think the creatures being busted and spells being horrible were bad, but I think we can end up in a good spot where maybe we have, you know, roughly things uh, at parity and on balance. I think they need to change the way the creatures are strong. I would like to see a two mana five five, right? Something where you don't snowball the game out of control. You just take 15 to the face and stabilize like and I, I I'm not even sure is it like is a two mana five five too strong or too weak? <laughs> Right. Maybe it needs to be a two mana six six. I, I don't know. Right. Like, would you rather play a werewolf pack leader or like a giant Tarmogoyf? Uh, but there's got to be at some point where the game just doesn't snowball out of control and you don't just draw a million cards and like lock up the, the game. And if we go back to that kind of play style, I think I'd be much happier. Like a one mana three three that does nothing instead of like ramping you and like drawing you cards. Right. Like just literally one mana three three non legendary or one mana four four and like that's it, right? You have four turns to answer it before you die, and they don't take over the game if it's not answered for three turns. So, yeah, I, I think maybe change the way spells are strong, and maybe change the way creatures are strong, but the relative power is okay. Right? I mean, like, if you invest eight mana in a spell, or seven mana Elrond's Epiphany, like, it should be strong, right? Uh, but maybe not, like, strong in a miserable game ending way but strong in another way yeah i think i i think i agree with that uh that's all time we have for questions this week thank you to everyone who sent them in if you have questions send them to at mtg goldfish with the hashtag mtg fish mail we got your questions on air and I believe that brings us to the end of episode 355 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. So, Richard, Krim, thanks for hanging out. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to Car Conduit for supporting the show. And we will be back next week to talk about whatever goes on in the world of magic. So, until then, have a wonderful week, everyone. And this is the crew signing out. <laughs> <laughs>